we need to be careful what we ask for in life, for sometimes we get more than we bargained for. We have desires and make decisions that have unintended consequences. Sometimes we don't realize all that goes with a particular desire. For instance, a child might want to have a pet. They want it desperately, but they fail to take into consideration all the time it takes to care and feed for that pet. Or maybe a person would love to play the piano and decide that they want to be a pianist and may even go out and purchase a piano, only to find out that practicing is hard, it is tedious, and it takes a long time to master the piano. We have a beautiful Kauai piano sitting over here to my right. I don't know if you know the story behind its purchase, but we had a committee form to be looking for a piano. And we were looking for a baby grand piano. And I saw one advertised, the merchandiser, a used piano at an extremely reasonable price. And I thought, oh, I don't know about this. And so before I took it to the committee, I decided to go look at it myself, just not to waste people's time. And uh, I went to this woman's house, and it turned out to be a six-month-old Kwai piano. She had decided that she was going to play the piano. She went and purchased this beautiful uh, instrument. She had it for six months and decided the piano wasn't for her. Well, she didn't realize what she was getting herself into. It turned out to be a blessing to us, but it was a misfortune for her. James, John, and their mother came asking Jesus for a particular request. The request was that they would become very prominent and occupy a place of prominence in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom, to sit on the right and to sit on the left, were to sit in the most prominent places of authority in a kingdom. They would be the right hand, left hand person of the king. She is asking on their behalf. The sons are putting her up to it. Jesus knows that. Verse 22, Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking for. The you there is plural. Are you able to drink the cup? He is addressing James and John. What occasioned such a request? Why was this asked? It didn't just come out of the blue. It wasn't just that they came up with this idea, well, let's ask to be on the left and right hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. The then, in verse 20, points back all the way to verse 27. If you would look with me at Matthew chapter 19, verse 
27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then are we going to have? What benefit is there going to be in having served you, following you, making sacrifice? Verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus said, this is your reward. You are going to be sitting on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, for James and John, that wasn't enough. They weren't just excited to hear that they were going to be one of the twelve sitting on the thrones and judging Israel. They wanted to be number one and number two. When they're sitting on the throne, they wanted to be on the right and they want to be on the left next to Jesus. Sometimes my grandkids fight over who's going to sit next to Bonnie at the, at the table. This is a much higher elevation than that. Who's going to sit on the right hand and on the left of Jesus? Jesus' reply is that you don't realize what you're asking for. Verse 22, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't realize what you're getting yourself into. You don't realize what this is going to mean and what it is going to require. It sounded and seemed like something that would be glamorous. But actually, it would be filled with a lot of heartache and hardship. Leadership is not as glamorous as it seems. It can look like a wonderful opportunity to be in an exalted position, but it is more difficult than people realize. Last week, we installed two elders and two deacons in their offices. I wonder if they knew what they were getting themselves into. It may look glamorous, but there's a lot of hard work. People may want to be in places of authority for the wrong reasons. There was an old commercial for legs stockings. It showed a woman dressed in a business suit walking briskly down the streets of New York carrying a briefcase. And the slogan was, legs stockings as exhilarating as a board meeting. I just kind of looked at that commercial and kind of disbelief. Okay? The idea was, wow, wouldn't it be great to be a corporate executive? And leg stockings will get you there. And leg stockings, just the feel of leg stocking on your legs is going to be as exhilarating as if you were on your way to a board meeting. I've been to an awful lot of board meetings. <laughs> and I never would have used exhilarating to describe the feeling, that anticipation of going to a board meeting. It just doesn't quite match up to reality. However, it is not simply that being a leader is hard. 
It is leadership that is associated with Christ's kingdom that is particularly, particularly difficult. The kind of leadership that Jesus is talking about is a true servant leadership. Servant leadership is accomplished by the leader serving others as opposed to others serving the leader. Note how Jesus describes the essence of servant leadership in Matthew verses 26 to 28. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Matthew, yeah, chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles loaded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. There are difficult elements that are associated with true servant leadership. So this morning I want to address the question, why is true servant leadership difficult? First, servant leadership is difficult because it is sacrificial in nature. It is sacrificial in nature. Verse 22, Jesus answered this request to sit on his left and his right. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? That was the first question. Are you able to go through what I am about to go through? Are you ready to experience what I am going to experience? It's referring back to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. Jesus had just briefly described the sacrifice that he was about to make, starting at verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and will be raised on the third day. Jesus had just described what he was going to experience in going to the cross. What it was going to mean to give his life a ransom for many. That's the bookends of this particular portion of the scripture. The conclusion is he's coming to give his life a ransom for many. He describes what that is going to be like. But they don't take a moment's notice to contemplate what that is going to be like in the life of Jesus. Instead, their mind runs to, well, this means that the kingdom is going to be established. Jesus is going to be reigning. We want to be on his left and on his right. They don't take any time to consider what it means for Jesus to be mocked, to be flogged, to be damned, be condemned to be crucified. They don't think about what it means for Jesus. They simply think about what it means for them. This isn't just an isolated incident. Later, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's going to be crucified, 
He's in deep anguish. He prays that if it be possible for this cup to pass from him. Are you able to drink my cup? He says. In the garden, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he went and asked the disciples to pray with him. And they went to sleep. They couldn't even stay awake in order to pray for Jesus who was going to the cross for them. Who was going to the cross for us. He said that his soul was in deep anguish. And they were impervious to that anxiety. They were indifferent to his misery and suffering. They slept with no problem. One of the difficulties that is associated with sacrificial leadership that makes it difficult is that most often it is unappreciated. It goes unnoticed. It goes unrecognized. People take other people's kindnesses and graces and goodnesses for granted. They don't think of the ways that others are serving them. They don't think about the sacrifices that people are making, the time, the money, the energy. They just take it for granted. And so the tendency is to try to bring some kind of notice to ourselves, to make people aware of what we're doing, to talk about what we are doing, to express what we are doing, to expect some congratulations, to expect some pats on the back, to express some kind of recognition that says, oh, I really appreciate your service. Well, that's not servant leadership. Jesus has only spoken about his death and what he's going to experience three times up until this point. Far into his ministry. And even now, when they're coming to sit and ask the question about sitting on his left and his right, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, man, all you think about is yourselves. You don't take the time to think about what I'm going through, whatever. No, that's not what servant leadership is. Servant leadership recognizes that we're not here to be served. We're here to serve others. And so he says, are you ready to drink my cup? Are you ready to live like that? Servant leadership is difficult because one must sit, submit oneself to the will of God. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. We are able. Yes, we can drink your cup, Lord. Jesus affirms that they will indeed go through the same kinds of things that he is experiencing. He says, you will drink my cup. You are going to experience this. In fact, 
Every one of the disciples is going to give their life for the sake of serving Christ, except for Judas, who's not a true follower of Christ, who's going to be a betrayer, and his life is going to end because of that betrayal. And the other is the Apostle John, who is going to die die in exile on Patmos, an island, uh, under uh, arrest and uh, under authority. But the other ten, all of them, are going to die in their service for Christ. He says, you are going to drink my cup. But part of that servant leadership is submitting to the will of the Father. For notice what he says in verse 23. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. He says, that, that's not my prerogative. I can't tell you that you're going to sit on my left hand or my right, for I have come to do the will of my Father, and it is my Father's will that's going to determine who's on my left and who is on my right. Servant leadership does not place demands upon God. It is not about bargaining with God. Servant leadership doesn't say, Lord, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. Servant leadership is not serving with the expectation that God is going to reward me or bless me for this service. But rather, servant leadership is regardless of the outcome, regardless of what is going to take place, that we have a desire to serve God. It is not striking up a deal. But this teaches us that servant leadership is not just about serving others. It includes serving others. The end of this passage, Jesus is going to say that he gives up his life as a ransom for many. That is a secondary purpose. The primary purpose is he gives up his life in order to accomplish the will of God. The will of God, the Father, was that the Son would give his life a ransom for many. God sent his Son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. It was God the Father's plan to send his Son to redeem us. The Son responded 
by saying that he delighted to do the will of the Father. Therefore, he gives himself a ransom for many. Therefore, serving others is a byproduct of serving God. I've been emphasizing time and time again that there are two great commandments. The first is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like unto you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But loving your neighbor as yourself should never be elevated to the place of loving God with all your heart, heart, and soul, and mind. And you will never love your neighbor as yourself without loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Our love for one another flows out of our love for God. So serving others begins with serving the Father. Thirdly, Servant leadership is difficult because it is uniquely Christian. It is uniquely Christian. Matthew 20, verse 24. And when the ten heard it, that is, when the ten heard of the request made by James and John and their mother, they were indignant at the two brothers. The word indignant here could be translated as they were angry, they were incest, they were upset, They were dismayed. They were angry or upset when they heard that Jesus and John requested to sit on Jesus' left. They were angered for they each had wanted that exalted position. However, they had not been so brazen as to ask for it. Every one of them wanted to sit on the left and the right of Jesus. And when they heard that James and John had asked for that, man, did that make them mad. That's what they wanted. But they hadn't asked for it. And maybe they're going to lose out because they didn't ask for it. Maybe they beat him to the gun. And so they are angry. Servant leadership does not look like the leadership that is in the world. Secular leaders have a tendency to abuse their power. Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lowered it over them. He's going to say that you shall not be like them. Secular leaders have a tendency to abuse their power. I have a book. uh, It's entitled uh, The Leadership Companion. Uh, I'm going from memory here. I I just came to my mind. Uh, I didn't look it up. But I think it has 66 different styles of leadership in it. One of them it calls servant leadership, but it's nothing like the servant leadership of the Bible. He says the Gentiles, the secular world uh, lords it over them. Meaning that secular Leaders use their power for personal gain or advantage. They use their position as a way of making their own personal life better or happier. And we're all aware of such things as insider trading. People who know what a business is going to do, 
know that as a result of the decisions they're going to make that the stock is going to go up, and they use that knowledge for personal gain, and they trade the stock market on it. And of course, that is illegal, and uh, sometimes they get nailed for insider trading. Most often, they do not. That's just one example. That's just one example. There are many ways in which people can use their own authority in order to wangle a better life for themselves rather than seeking a better life for others. Secondly, secular leaders have an elitist or entitled mentality. It comes from a sense of being superior to those that they are overseeing. Notice verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and now these words, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Meaning that they view themselves as privileged. They view themselves as superior. They view themselves as entitled. The reason that they are a leader is because they are brighter than everyone else. The reason that they are a leader is because they are harder workers than anyone else. The reason they are a leader is because they are more decisive than anyone else. The reason that they are a leader is because they are better looking than anyone else. The reason they're a leader, and they go on and on and build themselves up so that they deserve the position of leader, and because they deserve the position, they deserve the perks that go with it. No one else is smart enough to do this. No one else is hardworking enough to do this. No one else is faithful enough to do this. Therefore, I should get more than everyone else. I deserve more than everyone else. It's only appropriate that I be distinguished from everyone else. And so we read things of corporate executives that get paid $20 million for six months of service and then they are severed. $20 million for six months of service. Why? Because they're in charge. They're the leader. They deserve it. That's appropriate. That's the mentality of our culture. Not just our culture. It existed in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just in the New Testament culture. It is inherent in sinful mankind. We've always thought that way in our sinfulness. It's what we call an entitlement mentality. And it extends to the very poorest individual that no matter what you do for them, they deserve it. They deserve it. They deserve it. The servant of God is not to follow a corporate model of leadership. Look at verse 26. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so 
among you. You shall not act in this way. You are not to be that kind of leader. You are to be different from the world that is around you. That is a message that we cannot proclaim loudly enough. While in one sense, the church has an element to it in which there needs to be responsible oversight and administration that are some ways akin to running a business. Still, we must guard against the danger of using the values, ethics, goals, and methodology of corporate America in leading the church. Okay? There is one sense, a small sense, in which you can say the church is a business. It has to operate that way. In a small sense, that is true. You have to have a budget. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be careful with finances. But that is a long way from saying that you need a business mentality in overseeing the life of the church. And in America, there is far, far, far too much of pastors seeking to be CEOs rather than shepherds of the flock, chief executive officers overseeing an organization rather than a pastor that's shepherding a people of God. There is a world of difference. And more and more and more, the church is looking to secular culture for its leadership styles. The preferred degree in megachurches for the senior pastor is not a master of divinity. It's a master of business administration. Not wanting him to be trained in theology, but wanting him to be trained in business skills. To me, that's sad. That's sad. And to me, that is exactly what Jesus is warning against. Don't adopt the secular view of leadership. Rather, servant leadership is to be modeled after the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 26. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man. Okay, So let me be your example. Let me be the one that you look up to. Let your leadership style reflect my leadership style, Jesus is saying. And what is that leadership style like? Well, the Son of Man came not 
to be served, but to serve. The Son of God left a place of position and privilege and honor. The Son of God left heaven. The Son of God left the worship being worshipped by angels. The Son of God left the intimacy of being at the Father's right hand. The Son of God, who was rich, became poor for our sakes. He left heaven in order to come and to serve here on earth. And all that he receives, and yes, he is the king of the kingdom. But he didn't become king of the kingdom as something new. He was always the king. All things were always under the feet of the Son of God. He gained nothing personally by giving himself as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served. And even when you think about that, even in the service that we do, that's the humility, that's the reason for the humility. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. You can never sacrifice more than what he sacrificed for you. You can never give up more than he gave up for you. You never can earn. Prominence in his kingdom. It's a gracious gift. He came to give himself a ransom for many. He came for the spiritual well-being of others. And so, it's important to realize that in giving ourselves for others, yes, it has material aspects, and I'm talking about that on Sunday nights, but you can never divorce the material aspects from the spiritual aspects. As much as we need to be concerned about the physical well-being of others, and we need to, and as much as we need to be concerned about the people who are starving, and we need to, and as much as we need to be concerned about social injustice, and we need to, in all that we need to be concerned about. Ultimately, we need to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. Are they going to be a part of the kingdom? Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Are they going to be in heaven forever? All these other things are temporal. But their spiritual life is eternal. And that is what makes true servant leadership different from the book that I have that talks about the 60 different leadership styles. Because the servant leadership in that book knows nothing about being caring, caring for the spiritual well-being of others. Conclusion. The scripture teaches that a person who desires the office of elder desires a good thing. Whoever desires 
place of leadership. Desire is a good thing. However, we must desire it not for our own benefit or aggrandizement, but we must desire the position to promote the well-being and care of the church. It can be a, it can be a heady thing. It can be a heady thing. You know, sometimes I, I think I, I come across as being very critical of the megachurch. In actuality, I'm not. I don't think there's anything wrong with a megachurch per, per se, just because it's a megachurch. And I often think, wow, you know, it must be a pretty heady, heady experience to preach to 5,000 people. I'm not condemning others. I'm saying to myself, I don't know how I would handle a situation like that. I think it could easily go to my head. I think I could easily be puffed up. I could easily take credit. Knowing, of course, that it would have nothing to do with me. It's tough to be a leader. In any given situation. It's tough to be a leader at work. It's tough to be a leader in the home. Why? Because it takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. Sacrifice that oftentimes goes unnoticed, unrecompensed, unappreciated, ignored. Leadership wherever it's found, is difficult. For it requires submitting ourselves to the will of God. Of recognizing that when I am serving God, whether it be in the home, whether it be in the church, whether it be at work, ultimately I'm under his authority. It goes beyond just being responsible to human beings. I'm responsible to the God the Father. It's more than what just people think of me or how they respond. Ultimately it's about the Father, and how he responds. And then being a leader is difficult. Because there is just so much outward pressure of people telling us how to do it, how to be a leader, how to be a leader in the church, how to be a leader in the community, how to be a leader in your home, And what you hear from Oprah Winfrey, what you hear from the business channel, what you hear from I was going to just say that Dr. Phil, there he comes, okay. What you hear from Dr. Phil, what you hear from all these sources doesn't match how Jesus lived, how Jesus conducted himself. And we doggedly have to put our heel into the ground and resist the wind that says, you need to be like corporate America. You need to be like the psychologists are telling you. You need to be like the leaders at work. Our leadership has to be different. 
That's what we're to strive for. And that is what Jesus commends to his disciples. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would help us. We're all leaders in different ways. We lead to different extents. We lead with different responsibilities. But almost all of us are in charge of other people in some way. People are responsible to us. People look to us. We have to give advice. We have to give counsel. We have to make decisions, financial, emotion, emotional, spiritual. Uh, we have to guide others. We have to encourage others. We have to rebuke others. Uh, Lord, uh, we are a room full of leaders. Help us to be true servant leaders. Help us to lead in such a way that we are seeking the welfare of others before our own. That we don't use our leadership in a selfish way of advancing ourselves rather than advancing the well-being of those that we have the privilege of leading, the privilege of serving. Oh Lord, help us not to fall into a false sense of security by looking at the methodologies, the goals, the instruments, the methodologies of the world around us, but help us simply to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful to him. May he be our example, and may we be most concerned about the spiritual well-being of the people that we come in contact with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.